Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Dave Jacoby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is on the road this weekend for UFC 288 in New Jersey. We'll be breaking down the band of fight between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo, as well as a couple of our other favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, giving you the interviews you know and love, kicking off the show this week is UFC debutante Braxton Smith, who's getting ready to fight Parker Porter. And a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Johnny Munoz Jr., who's fighting Daniel Santos. And we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready! For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Braxton Smith, who fights Parker Porter at UFC 288. That fight is on May 6th. So, Braxton... I wanted to start here. Before we get talking about being signed by the UFC, all that good stuff, I want to talk about your pro career because I was looking at your tapology record. I see you debuted against Chase Sherman, of all people, right after your 24th birthday. Didn't go your way. And then you didn't fight for eight years. Do you mind filling us in to the story of how, you know, your your pro career kind of got started eight years before it did get started? Yeah, man. So... After that fight, man, shouldn't have lost that fight, by the way. But after that fight, I just kind of, you know, got away from the sport. You know, after my, my mom got me into it. So, you know, when my mom passed away, I just kind of was like, ah, I don't want to do it. So I left Alabama, moved to Austin, Texas, and, you know, just was discovering some new things, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life and who I wanted to be. I started playing uh, minor league um, semi-pro football. Then I ended up signing a professional arena contract to go play football. So, I was basically playing football, you know, playing flag football, lifting weights and, you know, just, you know, kind of meeting people and just kind of seeing the world uh, for what it really was, man. And just didn't I always knew I wanted to get back to fighting. And I was like, man, someday I'm going to go back. But it's just not the right time. I just kept pushing it off and pushing it off and didn't really care about fighting anymore um, until that until I had my little girl and got engaged. And that changed. And I got a vision board and I said, man, you know what? I want to. I'm going to be undefeated with all knockouts. I'm going to sign sign with a regional promotion and, you know, win a regional title. And I'm going to sign the UFC or Bellator or one fight. And, you know, I wrote it all down, man. And it, I gave myself two, two and a half years, and I did it less than a year. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's insanely fast. And I wanted to talk about that in a second, too. But before that, I want to go back to something you said in there, that your mom kind of got you into the MMA which isn't something I usually hear. I hear lots of stories about fighters saying their mom hates seeing them in the cage and stuff like that. Right. How'd your mom get you into MMA? Well, after, after uh, high school ball and, and college, and she was just like, I, I told her I don't want to play football anymore. Like, I don't want to go to college. I don't want to play football. And my mom was like, well, you know, we got to find something for you to do. You know, you, I'm in a, you're in a pretty bad area. I'm not going to let the streets take you. So I got home one day, man, and she was, she was watching WCW, Rod Favor, uh, you know, Dominique, uh, Dominique Cruz, I think, all those guys. It was the UFC. It was before the UFC bought it out. And I walked in the living room one day, and she said, this is what you're going to do right here. And I was like, whoa, what is this? My first time seeing it. I knew, I knew of the UFC, but 
you know, I was, I didn't have no, I didn't want to get into it. You know, I didn't, but my mom, she was like, Hey, this is what you want to do. So, I mean, probably like a month after, man, she had my first amateur fight, but I never let her go to a fight, but she the one got me into, uh, got me into MMA because she didn't want me on the streets. I love that. I love that. And, and now you said you never let her go to a fight. Is that because you were worried she'd be nervous, you'd be nervous, she'd see something she didn't like? What, what was the reason for that? I just thought I wouldn't perform well with my mom sitting there. <laughs> you know, she was mad. She hated it that she couldn't go. But she, she, you know, I had a pretty good amateur career, great amateur career. So she would look at the highlights in the fights. They wouldn't last long, but she enjoyed them. You know, but oh, can I go to the next one? Will I be at the next one? I'm like, Mom, let me think about it. Let me think about it. But I never, I wish I would have, you know, I wish you'd have been able to see me, you know, fight in person. She always seen me play football, but I wish she would have been able to see me fight in person. But she never got a chance, so. But yeah, she was she was a huge fight fan. Her favorite fighter is Brock Lesnar of all time. That's her favorite fighter. I I like that. I like that. She, that's a woman of taste right there. Now I I I, I, I got to go back to what you said before too, and that this is the fact that you know after deciding to restart your career, after writing the vision board and giving yourself two and a half years to get to the UFC, we're talking about this fight, and, and we're talking about this fight being at UFC 288 in a big stadium, and it not being a whole year since you fought Cody Beck in your second pro fight. So what has this year felt like for you in that this is happening as fast as it is? Man, oh, that's – man, to be honest, man, I just – I'm so hungry and want it so bad that I, I don't even get a chance to – like after I knock an opponent out, man, it's like, wow, you know, I did that. And then it's like, uh, you know, what's next? You know, so, like, with it going by so fast, I don't even think it really hit me yet that, um, like, bro, you're, you're – like, this is this is the NFL of the, of the fight world. This is it. Like, you've made it, you know, so now the work really begins. I think it, it will once I, you know, I land in, in New Jersey and I started, like, doing all the media stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, holy shit, like, this is, this is it, you know. But it really hasn't hit me yet, man. I'm just, you know, I'm always thankful and just, you know, happy for the people that's, you know, been in my corner and, you know, who helped me so far, so. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you know, like, you're knocking people out really fast. You know, if you look at those those last five fights, the the five fights that got you to five and one, the longest one is two minutes and three seconds. You know, a lot of people out there might say that's not enough cage experience, right? You, you barely been in there for a full round when you add up all the times together. D- do you feel like you've had much more time than that, though? Man, you know what? That's that's a really good question. Like people who, you know, say, man, this guy isn't experienced enough yet. Like I, I won't argue with you. You know what I mean? Like if that's, that's your opinion, everybody's entitled to it. But uh, I'm 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 a different athlete. I I really believe that uh, when you're talking size, power, strength, athleticism, explosiveness, like there's no heavyweight on earth that that's a better athlete than I am. You have some guys that may be more skilled and more experienced and, and you know bigger and stronger. But as far as explosive speed, power, and athleticism, I'm I'm in a I'm in a world of my own. You know, so with that being said, uh, any anybody that fights me and if they sleep on me, they're in trouble. And, you know, it's, I'm only going to get better. You know, I haven't even scratched the surface of what I can do. I'm, I have a really – I have a baby MMA career. Uh, but, you know, the UFC did the perfect thing by signing me at the right time. You know, I'm ready to turn some heads. Wow, and we're excited to see you turn heads. Now, I, I want to talk to you about that fight with Parker Porter. But before I do, 
I gotta ask you a question because I, I'm a big fan of MMA nicknames, and like I, I've said this before, there's a hundred hitmen out there, there's 37 bulldogs and warriors and everything else. There's one beautiful monster. I've only ever heard the beautiful monster one time in my whole life. So tell me, where does the beautiful monster come from, and how did you wind up the beautiful monster? <laughs> man, that's from one of my boys, man, a friend of mine uh, named Chaz in Austin. He, he's a he's a Cali boy, man, and he fought, you know, on the back 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 in the day. He fought uh, overseas. Uh, he was in the army. He fought for a lot of promotions over there. I think he owned a promotion at one time. But man, it was him. It was all him. He he, he gets the credit. He was like, man, the way you look, you know, the way you fight, bro, like, this is perfect for you. And I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, you know, the beautiful monster. Like, I didn't think twice. I'm like, let's go with it. You know, so he he, he gets all the credit for that nickname. I like it. And it's a fitting one. I, I dig it. So uh, let's talk about the first time we're going to see the beautiful monster. And I noticed uh, on your Instagram, you actually already had a fight booked on May 6th. You were going to fight for Peak again. You were going to fight Cody East. How deep into that fight camp were you when your management gave you the call for the old switcheroo? Uh, I, I was probably probably two weeks in, probably two two weeks in. So uh, yeah, we were we were focused on maybe three. We were focused on him, and you know, got the call and was like, oh, okay. Well, as soon as I got the call, I was like, okay, we're we're you know, what what what's the the date? Like, is the peak thing happening? You know, will it be this summer? Will it be in August? Like, to where I don't have to worry about the you know, the peak fight, I could just, you know, start training and, you know, focus and shift everything towards uh, uh, the UFC. I was like, bro, like, same day, you know, pay-per-view. Like, holy shit. Like, that's big time. Like, that's huge, you know. But uh, I'm looking forward to, like, getting in there and, and delivering, man. Like, really putting the stamp on there. Like, yeah, this is this is for real. Like, I'm I'm here for real. I belong here. Absolutely. And and now, you know, you said same dates. So you're already prepared. You're already in a fight camp. You already know what you're doing. But what was it like to get that call? Because like, like we said, this, this has been a, only a year really in the making. What was it like when to, when you heard that call from your management saying like, hey, we're going to do this in the UFC instead of peak? Man, it was it was crazy, actually. You know, talking to the man himself, you know, Mick, uh, like it was, it was it was it was it was crazy. I was in the car, man, getting ready to head to the gym and you know, I got the news, and you know, Jason called me, um, and hey, got somebody who want to talk to you, and it was, it was, it was amazing, man. I ran back in the house and and and, and told my fiance, and you know, I woke up my best friend. He was because he works overnight. He was sleeping at the time when I called him. I video chatted him, and he was he was pitch dark in his room. I couldn't <laughs> even see his face, and I was like, man, wake your ass up. Guess what? <laughs> like, I don't see. So it, it was it was cool, man. It was it was really cool and definitely a, a life changing thing. I always, I always remember that day. Absolutely. Now, in the day that that leads towards is a date with Parker Porter. Now, you're you're not only getting the debut. You're not only going to get the debut in front of a huge crowd at a pay per view, but you're getting a debut against the guy who's well established in the UFC and Parker Porter, a guy you know who's been around 265, who's fought some of the tough dudes. What are sort of your thoughts on him as an opponent for your first time in the UFC? Yeah, man, absolutely. I I think he's a, a well-rounded guy. You know, I think he uh, think he does a lot of things uh, good. You know, I respect him as an opponent. Um, he's a bigger guy. You know, and I I think he's I think he'll be a, he'll be a game opponent. Definitely uh, not an easy not an easy win. You know, not an easy knockout. I don't, I don't expect him to lay down. You know, I expect him to fight. Um, I expect him to bring the pace and everything like that. So this this should be. You know, definitely easily my biggest fight. You know, easily the biggest fight to me. So that's 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 pretty much all the you know 
everything I have on, on, on Parker. That's what I think about him as a fighter. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I usually like to end these things by asking my fighters for a prediction. How do you see this one ending with Parker Porter come May 6th? Oh, uh, man, by knockout, brother. Another first another first round, uh, maybe uh, beginning of the second round. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Braxton Smith, who fights Parker Porter at UFC 288. That fight is on May 6th. Braxton, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Braxton Smith. I once again am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let us start here. UFC 288 live from New Jersey is this weekend, and we are of course getting the return of Henry Cejudo, who we have not seen in some time. Tell me, I know he was a double champion. How much hype do you think is still behind that name after all of that layoff? Uh. Yeah, it's uh it's a good question cuz you know what he is a double champ but albeit at the two lightest weight classes for the men and the lighter weight classes typically don't necessarily light up a marquee as they say, you know, I don't know so much that Henry Cejudo uh moves the needle a ton. Um it's good, don't get me wrong, but this is uh, nowhere near a Connor Brock type return. And it's, you know, probably way better and bigger than like a TJ Dillashaw return. So I fall somewhere in that spectrum, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I wasn't super hyped on the TJ Dillashaw return. I think that one is marred a little bit by the steroids, though. Um, I, I'm not sure that TJ Dillashaw would be less of a needle mover uh, in terms of all that. It, it's interesting because we have the case study of what it's like with somebody out for three years and trying to see how big of a superstar can, you know, kind of withstand that. Because, look, him and John Jones have almost exactly the same layoff. Uh, he is going to be almost three years to the date, about a week short of it. John Jones is about a month more than three years and let me tell you something, the buzz around John Jones coming back, even with a much worse or a much less known opponent, right? Surreal gain, less known than Aljamain Sterling. Even with a less known opponent, a vacant title, a division kind of that that's falling apart in, in heavyweight, even with all that, John Jones was still pulling a way better number than Henry Cejudo is right now. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy that... People seem, I don't know if they've forgotten about him or if he was just never that hype before, but it, it, it does seem a little lackluster here in fight week. Yeah, I well, I would put Jones in that category just a notch below like the Connor, Brock, Ronda, you know, stat, era, status, not era, status. But with Cejudo, I think the other issue is while he was the double champ, he only defended each belt once. And, so and, shit, and, and in shitty terms too, right? Like he, he won that flyweight belt. Uh, or defended that flyweight belt uh, against a, a bantamweight who could barely make the weight. And then he went right. up and defended against freaking Dominic Cruz, who was like, you know, way past his 100 prime. years old. Yeah. yeah, seemingly 100 years old, cage rust, whatever you want to say. Um, so it, it was once each, and they were pathetic defenses too. Yeah. So that's where we are. A little underwhelming as far as like a big return goes, but I'm not sneezing at it. I'm still excited about it. I'm just not like super, super hyped about it. Cause I also don't know with Cejudo, he's a bit of a mercurial figure in how much shit 
he's talked in the past three years, how many times he almost threatened or teased coming back, never did. I don't really even know what this means. If he wins the belt, what's he going to do? Defend one more time and retire again? I don't necessarily even trust him like he's going to go on some long run. So to me, i just rather see Aljo win and we move on from this because I don't necessarily trust Cejudo to stick around, if that makes sense. No, I think that makes perfect sense. And, and I think, I'll be honest, I think if he wins, he's going to immediately ask for the Volkanovsky fight. Uh, <laughs> right. Which is crazy because, like, the, the thing about that division right now is that, like, it's not like they're hurting for challengers, right? Like, they, they literally have an interim champion right now in Yair Rodriguez who's going to have to unify those titles. You got Max Holloway who just put an absolute beatdown on Arnold Allen, could seemingly, you know, waltz into another shot there for the title. Then you got somebody like Aaliyah Tapuria who's probably going to murk Josh Emmett in a month and, and be right in the thick of things at the top of that division too. So, like, you know, they've got challengers. He thinks he's just going to walk in here, take the belt off of Aljo, take the belt off of Volkanovski, retire again without defending either of them. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how feasible that is. And uh, I suppose we'll talk about the first step of his plan in a second. Ah, I like it. A good tease and a good segue, Gumby. Let's get to our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. We'll break down a couple of fights, give a couple of live dogs that we like and a parlay to play. But before we get into it, let me hear it. Does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. So we'll start with the main event. We've already started talking about one half of it in Henry Cejudo, but he is fighting Aljamain Sterling. Sterling, the champion, is a minus-120 favorite. Cejudo, a plus-100 even money, which is really quite the compliment to Cejudo, considering he's coming off a three-year layoff. You know, if I could take people back to Aljamain Sterling, obviously when he won the bantamweight championship from Piotr Jan due to an illegal knee, it looked like he was headed towards a loss there, uh, very controversial, but he came back, took a split decision win. I actually found him to have just won that fight outright, um, if I recall it correctly. I'm actually surprised that was a split, but whatever. And then he TKO'd TJ Dillashaw. Uh, Dillashaw might have been injured during that. But my point being, if you take away the DQ illegal knee against Piotr Jan, if we assume that he was going to lose that fight anyway um, – he was on a five-fight win streak before that. Throw in the DQ win, that's six, and he's, you know, came back. Retribution against Piotr Jan, BTJ Dillashaw, the former champion. This man has won eight fights in a row and is the champion and looking to defend for the third time. And he will fight Henry Cejudo, the former champion, who himself is on a six-fight win streak. He lost to Demetrius Johnson and Joseph Benavidez back in 2016. Rough year for the man. He then came back, beat Wilson Hayes, Sergio Pettis, and beat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, the GOAT of that division, for the 125-pound title. Uh, defended against TJ Dillashaw, uh, beat Marlon Marais, beat Dominic Cruz. That's his six-fight winning streak, but he's been gone for three years. Very close odds here, Gumby. Who you got? I like Aljamain Sterling here. 
Uh, and not just because I'm a little, you know, jaded about what Henry Cejudo is seemingly trying to do here, but I actually think that Aljamain Sterling, historically, his style, has probably the worst matchup for somebody like Henry Cejudo, right? Like, his, first of all, he's he's way longer than Henry Cejudo. Did you know that Henry Cejudo is going to be at a 7-inch reach disadvantage in this fight? And he's going to be 3 inches shorter. Now, some people have said before... Well, you know, that that's not the worst thing in the world for wrestlers, right? Sometimes wrestlers can just get in there. But I actually think Henry Cejudo is going to have a tough time wrestling Aljamain Sterling. The guy trains with uh, Murad Tavashvili, gets his work in on his defensive takedowns there. And I, I don't know if people remember this. Before Henry Cejudo left, his takedown game had not looked good for a few fights. Um, you know, you mentioned the wins over Marlon Marais and Dominic Cruz. He was one of four and one of five in those fights, respectively. So that means he's actually only shooting 22% takedowns on Marlon Marais and Dominic Cruz, over-the-hill-ass Dominic Cruz. I-, I think that that's a nightmare situation when you fight somebody like Aljamain Sterling, who's not only got the takedown defense, but he's also got the submission game that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, I think this is going to be Aljamain Sterling. I actually think he's going to get a lot of work done on the feet here, too. So give me Aljamain Sterling. Well, Gumby, I completely agree with you. I think coming off a three-year layoff, having to go in and face Funkmaster and his length advantage and the fact that he's so good at takedown defense training with Marab Divashvili, I think that uh, this is Funkmaster's fight. I'm actually surprised that the odds are as close as they are. Let's move then to a banger of a fight with 170-pound title implications. Gilbert Burns, a minus-125 favorite. Balil Muhammad, a plus-105 dog. Burns, we just saw him beat the brakes off Jorge Masvidal on a two-fight winning streak, beat Neil Magny before that. Of course, he had the very close fight with Kamzat Chimiev, which was a loss for him. That was last April. And before that, he had beaten Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So he's 3-1 and one in his last four and surging towards a title shot, but standing in his way is Bolio Muhammad, who is on a bit of a win streak, and that's putting it lightly. Um, he's on a four-fight win streak. He's coming off a big TKO win over Sean Brady. You'd have to go back to his no contest due to an accidental eye poke on Leon Edwards to have anything that wasn't a win. Take out the no contest, and this man is on an eight-fight win streak. So he's eight. Oh, and one in his last nine fights. No one is more deserving of a title shot, but they're putting him in front of Gilbert Burns to really put him over the top. This is a tight fight. The odds are tight. Minus 125 for Burns, plus 105 for Muhammad. Who you got? I'm actually going to take Burns here. I I think uh, while Muhammad's run has been really impressive, there's just aspects of his striking that make me think that somebody who can threaten him with both grappling and heavy hands is going to give him a tough time. Uh, you know, like I, I see the fight against Sean Brady. I'm super impressed. I picked Brady in that fight and he didn't win. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that Sean Brady was kind of a more one dimensional approach against somebody like Bilal Muhammad. You know, he, he was either going to wrestle or it wasn't going to work out for him and it didn't work out for him with Gilbert Burns. Remember, this is a guy who, who Kamzat did not want to be on the ground with and had his moments where he stung Kamzat on the feet. And, and for me, I, I just think Gilbert Burns has got more weapons and more different ways to win this fight. Uh, I also think I'm, I'm particularly worried about Bilal Muhammad taking this fight on such short notice and getting all the way down to 170 pounds. There's been lots of talk about how much weight he's having to cut for this one. I, I think as the fight goes on, that's a tough ask against somebody like Gilbert Burns. 
I agree. I think Bolio Muhammad's win streak comes to an end this weekend. Sad to see it happen, but I'm a huge Gilbert Burns fan, so it is what it is. Jessica Andrade is a minus 200 favorite to Yao Yan Jonan, a plus 160 dog. Andrade coming off a loss to Aaron Blanchfield. No real shame in that. Blanchfield is a beast and on the rise to a title. Uh, Yan Xiaonan is on a one-fight win streak because she beat Mackenzie Dern via majority decision. Lost to Marina Rodriguez and Carla Esparza before that, so she's one and two in her last three. She's a plus 160 here. Who are you taking, and what's Yan Xiaonan's path to victory if you are taking Andrade the favorite? I'm definitely taking Andrade, but the path to victory here for Yan Xiaonan is is got to be, she's got to dance, right? She's got to stay on the outside. She's got to work her hands. She's got to go with a volume approach because the thing is, is you're not winning a power punching fight against somebody like Jessica Andrade, especially down at strawweight. And the problem is, is I just don't think she can sustainably do that for, for 15 minutes. I, I don't think she can stay away from the power of Jessica Andrade and I also think Andrade, I think people sleep on how good her grappling can be sometimes. You know, she dropped, you know, she, she dropped Rose Namajunas on her head, but it's not just that. She's got more grappling and wrestling in there when she really needs it. I, I think, you know, the odds are probably only as close as they are because we saw Andrade struggle up at flyweight. I think back at, at strawweight, she's going to just dominate people. And I think, uh, again, even if Yan Xiaonan lands more punches, people are going to remember the ones Jessica Andrade landed. We're very good at what we do, so take our advice very seriously. Our dog of the week this week is Braxton Smith, a plus 150 over Parker Porter. Now, we're telling you to pick a dog. You might say, oh, man, that's risky. I don't want to pick a dog. But it's like, hey, the guy we're picking him against is on a two-fight losing streak himself. So when you can get that dog money on someone who's not that good to begin with, you try to go for it. Let's hear it. Yeah, well, and I'm going to say this. Look, Braxton Smith is got a great matchup in front of him in Parker Porter. Parker Porter is a guy who, while he has got some grappling chops, you know, he's an older guy, he's a shorter guy, and he's been standing in front of people and throwing. And as we saw in that Justin Taffa fight, that just didn't work out for him. You know, he leaves himself open to being hit, and at heavyweight, that's trouble. I think Braxton Smith is only coming in here as a dog because he's so new to the sport. You know, his record's only 5-1. and one. But man, does this dude hit like a truck. If you don't trust me, go look up some of his YouTube highlights. He absolutely puts people to sleep. He's really only got to land one against Parker Porter here, and I think it's lights out. And as long as Parker Porter doesn't get that grappling going, which he hasn't even been shooting for it lately, I think there's a high probability that happens. So grab yourself plus 150. We'll end on this, our parlay to play. We've already spoken about Jessica Andrade, a minus 200 favorite. Throw her in a parlay with Ikram Aliskarov, a minus 230 favorite, and that's actually going to get you plus money at plus 108. Break it down. Yeah, so Andraj, uh, like I said, she's going to be landing the power punches here, and I think that gets it done against a volume puncher in Yan Xiaonan. But Ikram Aliskarov, uh, look, this guy looked incredible on Contender Series. The only real loss he's got on his record is to Kamzat Shemaev on the regional scene. And let me tell you something. He actually looked pretty good wrestling Kamzat Chemaev, which is a wild thing to say about somebody who's about to make his UFC debut. He's ripping people's arms off with Kimuras. Who doesn't like seeing a Kimura in 2023 UFC style? So I think he's just going to absolutely steamroll Phil Hawes here. And the fact that the line is so close is probably only because Phil Hawes is such a veteran of the sport and he's been in the UFC for a while. So get Aliskarov and Andrade in there and get some plus money on the return. Boom. You're welcome. Hey, let us know how we did. For real. We're accepting both love and hate feedback at Top Turtle MMA on our Twitter. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? 
We're going to transition now to my interview with Johnny Munoz Jr., who is fighting in the opening fight of UFC 288 this weekend. And we're going to get that interview for you right now. And joining me today is Johnny Munoz, who fights Daniel Santos at UFC 288. That fight is on May 6th. So, Johnny, I wanted to start here. In your last fight, you pick up a huge win over Ludovic Shaolinian. It, it brought you to 2-2 two and, two and, and really prevented a two-fight skid, a 1-3 and three start. Was it a huge pressure relief winning that fight? Did, did you feel like you had, you know, sort of a heavy weight on your shoulders going into it? Yeah, I mean, I thought I had a lot of pressure going into the fight, but I handled pressure very well. And I don't know, I feel like when my back's against the wall, I'm very dangerous. So I almost felt that. But at the same time, I felt in the last fight, like I felt very natural, like normal. Like I was in the cage, everything. Like I was talking in there to my corner, the walkout in the back. I just I just knew that I was going to win the fight. It was just like a, I don't know, when I showed up to the arena, just some kind of reinsurance showed, you know what I mean? beforehand like you mentioned there's a lot of pressure going into it and i think just showing up it was like this is my home i'm winning you know what i mean this guy can't take this from me and i felt that's uh what led to a you know a good performance and, and obviously that confidence shows really well in the cage you, you you obviously absolutely dominated in there but i gotta ask too now i, I heard that you got a new four fight contract right after this fight do, do you feel a, a sense of relief, or is there, you know, that pressure just doubled down to prove even more that you now to earn that? No, I mean, I still, I'm, I'm going to this fight like my back's still on the wall. I feel like I need to keep that mindset going all the way till uh, I fight for the bell, and just every fight from here on, I need to fight like it's it's the last one. Like this guy's here to take everything away from me. You know what I mean? If I don't beat this guy, I don't return to my family. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's an important mindset to be in. If you're too comfortable, relaxed, like, oh, I got the contract, like, I'm good. And then to me, at that point, you're, you just care about beating the UFC. and You don't really give a shit about winning. And to me, like, I like beating the UFC, but I like winning more. So uh, I feel UFC is the number one platform with the best fighters in our sport, and I want to be the best in the world. And so there's no other place to do it than – underneath underneath the UFC banner. I love that mentality. Now, I got to ask, too, you know, a lot of people have talked about working with a sports psychologist to work on mindset type stuff like that. Is that something you've done in the past? I know both your parents were coaches, right? So, like, maybe maybe something that they've instilled in you in that sort of mindset going into a fight? Yeah, well, my, my parents are a big influence on me. They instilled a lot of philosophy, life philosophy, just a lot of, a lot of what I believe in. Like, for my parents, obviously, there's been outside sources to help me, but I feel like my foundation came from my parents, and it allowed me to grow into the martial artist I am today, the person I am today, and just being a real person, not being a fake piece of shit, you know what I mean? And I feel, uh, because of that, I'm able to pick up things. I have a solid foundation, and I'm able to pick up things. And I feel that's one thing missing. You know, a lot of people in life, they don't have a, a good foundation on things, so they can't recognize when uh, someone's actually giving them good advice or bad advice, or, you know, this person is uh, giving them advice, but it's really kind of leading them the wrong direction. So I feel, yes, because of my parents, I'm able to have a good foundation that I can recognize, okay, this is a good person. Okay, this person I need to stay away from, or, okay, this information is good, and so on. 
Well, and, and speaking of picking up information in different places, I, I did notice on your Instagram, too, that you've been doing some work at, at a different gym. I saw you at Aldamas Muay Thai down in Mexico sort of preparing a little bit for this fight. Is that something that's been part of your training camp before? Maybe I just missed it, or is this kind of a new piece to this training camp? Um, it's somewhat new. I, I started training with uh, Aldama, Carlos Aldama is his name, uh, after, in June, July. That was, that's when I started training with them. So that was last year. So actually in my last fight camp, I was training with them a lot. And then obviously this fight camp. So he's been helping me a lot. Uh, Aldama, there's also another coach, uh, Pedro. Uh, both those guys are great at what they do. And to me, honestly, they've the best pad holders I've ever been around. I've trained quite a few gyms. Like they understand how to use Muay Thai for MMA and not just teach you traditional Muay Thai head on, but uh, techniques that actually work and flow good for MMA. So that's what I'm looking to demonstrate in this fight as well. I like that. Now, is is that something that you sought out as help? Because obviously, you know, your wrestling has been so on point, you know, in your UFC stint, before your UFC stint and things like that. Have you been looking for some some more additional striking pieces and some Muay Thai pieces? Uh, I mean, I feel like my striking has been, like, solid, but I was never really able to showcase it in a lot of my fights. Um, I was doing a lot of boxing down in Mexico, which was great. It helped me to a certain point, but it also, I felt, hurt me a little bit because I felt like I was becoming too much like a boxer and kind of got away from kick and, like, the coach kind of changed my stance a little bit. And with the the new boxing stance, like, I felt good, but I was like, man, like, why can't I get these takedowns in no more, you know what I mean? But it's because the stance is a different stance. It's not, uh, it doesn't work for MMA, so you can't get the takedowns. It's hard to mix it up. It's good for boxing, but it's not, it wasn't working. It. Towards the end, it kind of hurt me. And then my wrestling coach, Jason Conine, has always been trying to get me to do Muay Thai, but I was like, eh, like, I, I don't know. I didn't like Muay Thai. Muay Thai is cool, but I feel like, like I said, a lot of coaches teach you traditional head-on Muay Thai and I feel for MMA like that's just not my style to be head-on so I was like you know what I'll, I'll give it a try so that coach Aldama I tried him out I was like man this guy he makes me work angles everything's at an angle where I can punch get out of the way move forward and I feel like it's just it was just a different striking style that I feel is going to work for me and I can't wait to keep learning more well, and we're looking forward to seeing a lot more of that, and we're probably going to have to see some more of that, right? Because you're fighting Daniel Santos, a guy who's, you know, a little bit of a wild man in there. His last fight, he went in, he got, you know, dropped early in the fight, he comes back and gets a spectacular finish. What do you think of the style of Daniel Santos and how your skills play against that style? Yeah, like you mentioned, he's like a very wild guy, you know, and he comes in. He has a traditional shootbox style. Like, all the shootbox guys fight very similar. They're head-on right in front of you, they throw, they'll get rocked, but they're still in the fight. You know what I mean? They're they're willing to stay in there and trade until somebody somebody goes out. Um, but, yeah, like, he, like I've seen his last two fights, his fights in the UFC. You know, Julio Ars, I feel like, really put a good blueprint on how to beat Daniel Santos. And you could say, oh, that's Julio Ars, you know, he's a veteran, whatever. But I also feel Castaneda, when he fought Castaneda, Castaneda was winning that fight until it looked like Castaneda gassed out, emptied his tank. And uh, but I think that's what makes da Daniel Santos dangerous. You know, he's capable of 
you know, almost being knocked out, but he's still in the fight and he could come back and win. So that's what makes him dangerous. I know he's a dangerous guy, but also you got to be more than just dangerous to beat me. I feel like I'm the more technical fighter, and that's what I'm looking to exploit in this fight, May 6th. Well, and I always love to end these things with a prediction, so tell me how it goes down May 6th with Daniel Santos. Yeah, so I mean, I see I three different predictions, but like one prediction, I'm you know I'm I like to really dissect fights. You know, there's a lot of guys they they'll predict I'm gonna knock them out, whatever. But a lot of these guys don't really believe in what they say, and you can see that when they fight, when things don't go their way, like you see the look on their face, like that guy was full of shit on all of his interviews and everything that he believed in. If you really if you really believed in it, your face expression wouldn't change. You'd be like, fuck this, I'm still looking to win. You know what I mean? But uh. Yeah, I mean, I see, like, he's a very wild, wild guy. But uh, I see I see myself catching him coming in because uh, he comes forward, and I feel that's going to be a big thing to win this fight. Him coming forward and me being able to capitalize with uh, punches coming in and or even with the takedown coming in and getting a submission. So I feel none of these guys have anything for me on the floor. So if we do get to the ground, that's going to be uh, – a big uh, a big advantage for me. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Johnny Munoz, who fights Daniel Santos. That fight is at UFC 288. Once again, that's on May 6th. Johnny, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Let's go. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.